Are you all ready this morning? Come on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. So, uh, so this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be talking about uh, knowing what we carry um, and discovering who we are. And uh, I really feel like this is an important message for us, but I'm going to dismantle some ways of thinking a little bit, redefine some things. You know, a lot of times our definition of certain things, we define it outside of love and outside of the way God defines it. You know, it's like, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into this probably next week, but our even, even our definition of what holiness is, we define it outside of the context of who God is. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, let, let me just let you think about something. Um, before there was creation, was there sin? That we know of. It's not a trick question, guys. Shout me down. Come on, somebody. Like, before God created us, before he created angels, okay, who was there? God. Who's God? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So God was never alone, by the way, in the Christian faith. God is not a solitary monad. He is, it's the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the Godhead, three at one. Uh, there's a uniqueness of personality, but there's a oneness of substance. But think about this. God was still holy before creation, wasn't he? So if there was no sin, then how was he holy? That's an interesting thought, isn't it? See, we define holiness just based upon a moral flaw or failure when holiness really is the beauty of God's design and it's seen in who he is because God is love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we think about like, you know, Holiness, oh, holy, holy. We say holy, holy, holy. And we think holiness, it means other. It means set apart. But it's really the beauty of who God is. This is why the psalmist says, worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Oh, yeah, come on. That's a good word right there. Come on, somebody. So I want to talk to you today about the way we define something called the anointing. How many have been in the charismatic church for long enough and you've heard like the, the anointing? Come on, somebody. The anointing is strong in the room. Look, it's making my fingers do this, the anointing. Glory to God. You know, one of your hands got to get the shaking going on. Come on, the anointing. You ever been around that preacher's like before he lays hands on you, his hand shakes, bam, and then he like smacks you in the head? How many sisters paint on the brow a little bit, you know, and you got to watch out and just, he has to aim right because if he smears your eyebrow in church, it's enough that you're crying and mascara's going all over the place. Nobody wants no brows swooping up like that, right? You got the preacher, the anointings on the anointing. Oh, glory to God. Bam. You know, and sometimes it's our faith that's connecting with that point of contact. And we really get blessed and, and touched and all that. And, but listen, we have to redefine what we mean by anointed and what we call anointing. Because when we say like the anointing is in the room, that's really not the proper definition. There's really no scriptural evidence of that. Like you, the anointing or the, the fact that we are anointed is what the anointing is. So the anointing is the fact and the reality that we have an anointing or a gift from God abiding within us. But when we say the anointing's in the room, what we really mean is the flow of God is in the room. Now, let me, let me just share this with you. Luke 4, 18, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. You see, the way we do it in our, our church cultures is everything's, our value system's based on gifts of the Holy Spirit in most charismatic like churches, gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you prophesy, you're anointed. 
If you sing a song, you're anointed. If you, you know, the gifts of the spirit, like if you speak in tongues, whoa, you're anointed, man. But how many know that everybody's anointed? Hello? For something unique. And we can't base our value system on one set of the gifts. We do a teaching called Embrace the Fullness. I encourage you to look it up on our website. You can always listen to our sermons online. Uh, but if you look it up, we do a whole message on the, the understanding that God's gifts to his church are to express Jesus as the body of Christ to the world. And there's three different sets of gifts that we find in the New Testament that can be attributed to the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. One of them is in Romans 12, seven motivational gifts. How many are familiar with those? So what we do is we take a spiritual gift test and we lump them all together, which is fine because we all carry different elements of those giftings, but the Father has given us gifts and the Holy Spirit has given us gifts and also Jesus has given us gifts in Ephesians 4. And so our whole value system is based on, well, you're anointed, you're not. And so if someone's anointed, they, they do this, glory to God, I'm anointed, bam, you know. And so, well, what about the people that don't seem to have an anointing? Like, you know, the person who comes to church and they're in the back row, are they significant to a body? Like, what are they anointed for? You know, how come we don't, we, we have prophetic conferences and Holy Spirit conferences. Why don't we start having, and, and like, I mean, those are good. I love Holy Spirit stuff. I love, how many know we need that, right? I think we should have a Trinity conference though. So we get the fullness of the gifts of the Godhead. Come on, somebody. Or how about we have a conference that's just based on love, like a love conference where everyone is significant, and so how do we need, we need conferences to discover who you are so you can release it. Discover what you carry so that you can release who you are. Because so many times we're told in church, like, well, you need to die to yourself. Glory to God. Die. You know, you come to church and like, geez, I felt like I was dead in the world. And you know, why, why do I got to die now? What happened? You know, well, the Bible says you need to crucify your flesh daily. Does it? Where does it say that? Somebody show me, please. I don't read it in there. When I read Galatians 5, the Bible says, my Bible says, come on somebody, <laughs> that Jesus, it says those that are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions. It's past tense. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God or by the faith of the Son of God. How many know when Paul was saying in the King Jimmy version, I die daily. Have you ever read that verse? I remember when I first got saved, some guy was disciple and he said, you got to die to yourself every single day. I'm like, what do you mean? I thought God loved me. Like myself, is myself bad? Maybe my selfishness is bad or my self-centeredness is bad, but is who I am bad or in, unvaluable or not worth anything? Why does God want me to die daily? And then I learned that it was a really bad translation. Paul actually was saying, I face persecution daily. We got to read it in context, people. Come on, somebody. We got to learn how to read the Bible. Like there, there's a context to it. And so here's the thing. When we talk about like, you know, dying to ourself. And do you know that God wants who you are in him to come fully alive? The Bible says, hear me, you are a living sacrifice, not a dead one. Now I know I'm kicking down some sacred cows and I love to work through with people like the thinking these things through and searching the scriptures. We have a school of theology and supernatural living. We get deep into this stuff and we talk about the dualisms, how we'll say things like, well, I don't, I don't want it to be me. I just want it to be God. Well, aren't you like God? I mean, aren't you a kid, his kid? Hello? 
Why is his will outside of us as New Testament Christians when the scripture says in Philippians 2.13 that he has put his desires into my heart and on my heart and given me power to fulfill them? So why is the will, the will of God's not outside of us in something we do or something that we step into. It's something we do and it's like a river of life that flows through us when we yield to grace. Come on. So when you know what you carry, you know who you are. Now I want to talk to you about the, the fact that you're anointed. I want you to look at the person next to you and say, you're anointed. First Corinthians chapter one, I'm going to read two verses. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who has also sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Can you say amen? amen. Here, here's what I love about this. Paul says, the person who's established you in Christ and that's anointed you is God. God's done that. By the way, man doesn't anoint you. God anoints you. Hello? Like, it, it, anointing doesn't come when somebody, you know, well, when I lay hands on you, then you'll really be anointed. No, it doesn't work. They stir up what's inside you. They stir up the DNA of Jesus inside of you. The anointed one's in you. So to the degree that Jesus lives in your heart is the same degree that you're anointed. Because he's in you and he wants out of you. Come on, somebody. Doesn't want to leave you. He wants to express his love through you in a unique way, in a way that only you can because you're a unique person. Look at the person next to you and say, you're very unique. <laughs> Why are y'all laughing? Come on, somebody. In a good way, yeah. Here's a life-changing truth, man. When you release who you are, when you release your passion, your, your energy, your spirit, who you are in God, guess what you're releasing? You're releasing God's spirit. Why do we have to always separate it? Well, my heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Well, my heart isn't because I believe what the Bible says in Ezekiel 36 that he gave me a new one and he took the stony one out and he gave me a new nature. Come on, because I believe in the finished work of Jesus. And I don't, I don't think who I am is evil. And I don't think who I, who I was might have been, but that's who I was BC. Come on, somebody. But when Jesus came in my life, something happened. There was a turnaround. There, he flipped everything around. And he said, guess what? You're a son. That's not who you are anymore. And then sin becomes like a third shoe. And I, my desire is changing. Now I'm on fire. I want to go to church. And I want to start a Bible club instead of smoke weed in the bleachers before school. Come on. How many weed smokers are we? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jesus, help us all. Like God, God did a radical turnaround. It's called freedom. It's called the gospel. And we believe in the transfer, transformational work of heaven. But then we need to stop saying stuff like, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's, that, why do I do that face? Because that's what it, stop. It's the, it's a lie. Paul never addresses the church as sinners. He says, you're saints to the saints at Corinth. Come on. I think it only happens one time in the New Testament after the cross. I think James, but he was, he was speaking to some people that were doing some messed up stuff. He says, y'all are sinners, man. <laughs> he was rebuking them. By the way, James barely made it in the canon of the New Testament. Because, no, I'm serious. Historically, 
The church fathers are like, it, it, it seems like in opposition, but he was writing to a specific group. It has to be read in context, and it's part of the Bible, inspired. But you, you can't just take one verse and, oh, we're all sinners, and we need to repent. Yeah, we need to change the way we think about God and about ourselves, that we're no longer sinners saved by grace. We're saints being transformed by grace. And we have a new nature. And so stop saying things like, well, I don't want it to be me. I want it to be God. It is God when it's you because he put that life inside of you. He put that passion inside of you. He made you, and God wants to come out in your flavor. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, He who is united with the Lord is one spirit with him. So if you're united to the Lord in Christ, when you release your spirit, who you are, you're releasing God's spirit. See, a lot of people lead worship. We know this, like we teach this, you know, and so worship leaders are like, Lord, I just want to release you. And they'll say things like, I don't want to do anything out of my soul, only my spirit. That's actually false teaching because there's nowhere in the Bible that it says the soul is bad. Actually, there's, there's scriptures that say, Paul said this, cleanse yourself from the defilement of the spirit and the flesh. So if you're just going to do things out of the spirit, what if your spirit's defiled? There's other scriptures that say, do the will of God from your soul. See, we over-compartmentalize spirit, soul, body, and like my spirit's, my soul's catching up to what God did in my spirit, and someday my body will. No, the Bible says my body, sarks, flesh, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. My body's holy. I know it don't look that holy, boom, 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 but it is. Come on, somebody. Jesus transforms our entire being. Why, why don't we just trust in that and say, wait a minute, I don't have to separate this and say, well, I, I, don't, I don't want my will to be done, but God's will. Jesus prayed that in the garden. You're not about to be crucified, yo. Read it in context. That's not applicable to you. The will of God is, is what you choose to walk in and do. When you make good choices, you're doing the will of God. The will of God is not like this, I'm in the bubble of the will of God, and then I'm outside of the will of God. Paul never illustrates it like that. Read it at 1, Corinthians, or, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 at the end. He says all these things, and he says, which is the will of God for you? He's like, pray without ceasing. I want you to do, make good choices. It's God's will for you to do right. Come on, somebody. Same thing when he says in Ephesians, he says, find out what the will of the Lord is. Like, see what the Father's doing and then do it. And so what the reality that you're anointed is sandwiched in with the reality that you're established in Christ and he lives inside of you and he sealed you with the Holy Spirit. And the anointing doesn't come and go. Sometimes we not, might not walk in the flow of God's Spirit, but it doesn't change the reality that you're anointed. And you don't have to feel anything to be anointed, charismatic Christian. If we stop thinking, oh, I don't feel anything, maybe God's not here. If we stop thinking that way and think he's closer than the air I breathe, you will experience him in ways you never have before. We don't say, Holy Spirit, come. He's already here. We say, manifest your presence, Lord. And, and guess what? You'll experience more revival. By the way, what is this confusion? It's not about you, but it is about you. I'm so confused. Stop telling me this stuff, preachers. Why do preachers say stuff like that? Why do some people say, well, he, he, God wants us to be revived, but we have to die first. I thought we already died with Christ 2,000 years ago. Hello? We might have to die to desires that are wrong. We might have to put off deeds. This is what the Bible says. Put off the deeds. Put off, not have commit spiritual suicide. Not die to who you are. Who you are is holy. Who you are is a son. Who you are should come alive. This is why Romans 12, everyone knows the verse. We are what? Living sacrifices, not dead ones. Amen? 
You're living sacrifice. See, religion wants you to stay dead. Grace wants you to make, he wants to make you alive in him. Come on. I love John Eldridge quotes an old poet. He says, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you fully alive because the world needs you fully alive. What is the passion in your heart? What are the things that irritate you? That usually means you're supposed to change it, not complain about it. Come on, somebody. Don't criticize the lack, become the more. What is it that you see someone doing and you say, oh, I could see myself doing that. There's something comes alive. The gift in you comes alive when you see the gift in someone else. That usually means, what are you passionate about? That usually means that's what you're created to do because God put that fire inside of you, intrinsic to your nature. It's a gift he gave you. He's anointed you. You're in Christ. He's inside of you and sealed you with his Holy Spirit. And you have a gift from God to express in the earth. And it's not just for the preachers, teachers, and prophesiers. It's for everybody. Well, what's my gift? Well, you know, you know, you're anointed for something when there's a tangible effect. So like if I'm a teacher, when I talk, people will listen. If I'm a teacher and anointed to teach, when I talk and people don't listen, I might not be a teacher or I'm just missing it big time. I'm not yielded to the flow. I'm not yielded to the flow. Or if I'm a worship leader and I'm anointed to lead worship and if I play the guitar and I suck and I sing off key, I'm probably not anointed to lead worship. Well, what's your gift? I lead worship. Let me hear you sing. You're probably anointed for something else. Hashtag keep it real, baby. Like, I mean, honestly, guys, if we stop trying to take someone else's gift because of the lack of the validation we never had, or maybe we just don't know how loved we are as sons and daughters, so we try to, our whole identity is wrapped up in one set of gifts. How about we just find out what we are and who we are, what we carry and who we are, and let that come alive inside of us? Like, some people are so anointed at making chocolate chip cookies. Now, don't think, listen, guys, I'm telling you, oh, man, this, I'm feeling the glory on this right now, right? Come on, somebody. When we're over and we're at the house and we got some people over, what do we do, y'all? My wife, cookies, cookies, cookies. Rochelle's like, okay, I'll make my famous cookies for you guys. They're so good, baby. Listen, well, that's not a gift from God. You bet it is, Romans 12, the gift of hospitality, baby. Come on, somebody. He satisfies my mouth with good things. (laughs) He put that chocolate chip cookie in the oven. I can sing a little bit, huh? Just a little bit. And when I eat it, it tastes so sweet. Girl, hallelujah. And I love it when it's still warm out the oven, 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 and just the chocolate can drip on my mouth and my beard. I don't care. I'm saving it for later. I don't care because this cookie's so good. He satisfies my mouth. I'm telling you, when someone with the gift of hospitality invites me over and you feel home and it's like, mom, is mom here? Mommy. (laughs) My mom lives in Denver. I don't see her that much. So when someone invites me over, a mama or a dad, someone who likes to cook, I like to cook, man. Come over. I'm a food pusher. Try this. Oh, I had enough. No, try more. It's really good. Listen, there are more gifts than preaching and prophesying. And every part of the body is significant. But our value system has to change in the church. Our value system cannot just be on those who prophesy and speak in tongues. Or those who are administrative in any set of the gifts. Or those who are apostles in any set of the gifts. How many know there are 
there's a beautiful array of gifts. And I think each gift that we see, Romans 12, all seven, 1 Corinthians 12, all nine, and then in Ephesians 4, all five, the gifts of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, I think all of those together are like diamonds that express multifaceted colors of God's love in so many different ways. We limit them, we over-compartmentalize them, and then we still think we're in the old covenant and these gifts only come and go. Well, I used to be anointed for this, but I'm not anymore. No, you just put a lid on it. It's time to open the valve. It's time to love again. It's time to get God's heart for people again. Well, I used to evangelize really good. Just love people and the valve will flow. Rivers of living water. Jesus has never left you. God hasn't changed his mind about you, minister. He's still with you and for you and all of heaven is behind you. Come on, it's who you are and every Christian in this room is anointed to be a minister and a witness. Not just the people that pray up here. He wants to use you to lay hands on the sick and watch them recover. He wants to use you to prophesy to dry bones. He wants to use you to make me some good cookies. Hallelujah. First John 2, 27, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. It's inside of you. The anointing isn't something that flows in the room. It abides in you, and because you're anointed, the Spirit is upon you and flows through your life. Do you see the difference? Well, the anointing. No, no, no. The flow of the Spirit. The anointing is this. The anointing that abides is God's authority. You're set apart. You're anointed. It would happen in the Old Testament. David's anointed. He's anointed as priest or as king. Or a priest was anointed. Right, A prophet was anointed with a horn of oil. And so it was signifying the set, that they were set apart and God's authority and seal was on their life. They were anointed. Boom. It was a recognition of authority on their life. Not something that was like one minute the oil flowed, the next minute it didn't flow. You see, if we stopped thinking this way, we would walk in power a lot more, guys. Because we, we're, I don't feel it, so maybe it's not happening. I don't, it does, I don't need to feel anything. Well, I'm praying for somebody, and, and, and I want to see him get healed, but I'm not feeling goosebumps, so maybe God's not going to heal this person. That's just silly, dude. Like, just believe God and release life, because it's who you are. You're a life giver. Hello? It's who you are. And so th- this reality is that w- the anointing abides. Here's what it says. You don't need anyone to teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Now, what John is not saying is you don't need anyone to teach you, so just go read your Bible by yourself in the mountains and come up with your own theologies. Because there's lots of other scriptures that say, no, we need teachers. Like the older shall teach the younger. Teachers is one of the fivefold ministry gifts. But he's dealing with people that are denying the incarnation of Jesus They were Gnostic. They were influenced by a way of thinking. It was a cult in the early church that affected about 30% of the early church. For the first couple centuries, there's still lots of Gnostic thinking in the church today. And so they would say that that Jesus wasn't uh, really flesh because God can't become flesh. Or they would say he wasn't really God. He was some sort of like ghost or spirit. And so he's saying, no, you, you know better than that. You have the anointing to know the difference between a false teacher, because these teachers were coming in and they were saying, no, there's a higher way of knowledge that we can show you. And they were trying to subdue God's people with false teaching. So it's all about the anointed one and his expression through your life. 
And if we realize that everyone here has Jesus living on the inside of them, we'd stop struggling with, well, I wish I had your anointing. Oh, I wish I had your anointing. But if we just honor each other enough, it'll start flowing and we'll start loving the way that we're created to. Come on. Isn't that good stuff? I think it's good stuff. If I was on the front row, I'd be like standing up like, Pastor Zach, you're pretty cool, bro. Praise God. Yeah. It says the anointing teaches us. What does that mean? You see, my gift and what I carry, the anointing that he's given me, that oil, it, cha- it helps me think differently. It teaches me to do what I was created to do. So now I think differently. So renewing our minds is not just out with the old within the new. It's actually releasing our ability to think. That's a whole other thing. Like our minds are evil. They're not evil, man. We renew our minds. Our minds are sanctified. How many believe that? Like we can, we can walk in purity of mind and of thoughts. We have power and authority over what comes in our mind. And what our hearts are open to, our mind is going to follow. But I love this because it says the anointing teaches. What are you anointed for? It will, the anointing, the Holy Spirit resonant, this is so powerful, will change, not only changes your heart, but it helps you think differently so you see things differently. And we all will see things differently, and that doesn't mean we're not in unity because unity is not uniformity, it's diversity. It's the reality that we're diverse, and so I value diversity. I value a different perspective, and because we disagree, I don't even like that word because it can signify disharmony. If I don't see things the way you see them, it doesn't mean we're not in harmony or unity. It just means that I see things differently, and that's okay. And maybe your perspective can help mine, and maybe mine will help yours. Come on, somebody. Can you say amen? Right, Rochelle? I mean, praise God. Husbands and wives don't see things the same. But we balance each other out. We help because we're all an expression of Jesus in the earth. If we thought this way, we wouldn't struggle for position, power, and spotlight. And this whole value system that, that we, we idolize men and women of God, they're anointed. And so listen here, I want to close with this thought. That when we're given a gift by God and we release it, a worship leader leads worship, what happens? The manifest presence fills the room. What happens? People's hearts bow. Oh, they bow in the presence of Jesus. I love when my daughter leads worship and, and people, and, and all of our worship leaders are anointed or they wouldn't be doing it because we don't have a problem saying that's probably not your gift. Praise God. Right. Amen. <laughs> my daughter leads worship and it's just pure rivers. Oh, in our hearts. Oh, I just love to worship Jesus right now because the grace. So whatever you're gifted for, when, when that flows through your life, every heart bows in the presence of Jesus, but they're bowing to Jesus, not us. We can't mix that up. But if our value system's already a little messed up because we don't know we're loved apart from our gift, we don't feel significant unless we prophesy. We don't feel significant unless we do the stuff. What if we don't did, what if we did nothing? What if even sometimes the prayer, use me, God, I think is orphan. Use me, Lord. If my kids came up to me and started doing that, I'd be like, shut up. <laughs> you're a mean dad. No, I love them. I love them. You're, you're my son. You're my daughter. Use you. No, I want you to do some things. I want you to dream. I'm behind you. Use you. No, I don't, I don't. That's not who I am. I'm a father that loves his kids. I want to see my kids come fully alive in their uniqueness. 
use me, Lord. I mean, I get the prayer. Like, I want God to use me. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes it comes from this place of, like, we don't feel loved. And we, we just, and here's what happens. The gift that was designed to edify everyone around us becomes this self-centered thing where really I just need you to tell me how anointed I am because I don't really believe it without the gift. But what if we actually believe we were somebody, we wouldn't try to be somebody in every area of church. Come on. Well, I got to be the head usher and I got to be the head. I want to be the senior pastor. Glory to God. I don't want to just teach a Bible study. I want to lead a church, a whole church. Glory to God. I want to have thousands of people and control them all. Whoa. That's really what you want to do, isn't it, pastor? You see what I'm saying? Like our motives for ministry sometimes come from our lack of significance. Not knowing who we are. Paul said it very clearly in 1 Corinthians 13. After all the gifts, he said, but the gift is. Some of you read your Bible. Wow, praise God. The gift is what? 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love chapter. What happens is we want a spotlight and we're just a solo instead of a symphony in a body. And we're a clanging cymbal instead of a, a unique sound in a symphony. We all have a sound. You have a voice. Don't be an echo. All right. I think I've preached enough. I, I feel bad for you guys. I don't know why. I just, how do you deal with me? Like I'm pretty obnoxious sometimes. Can I be, keep it real? I don't know how this is happening right now. I just, let me close with this. Okay. Character and anointing are both important. An anointing can take us places, but it's our character that keeps us there. And grace develops our character, not performance. And I want to say this, that why do I say that? Because what flows from our life should be pure. And everything God does is relational. Like we, we don't have hoops to jump through to be part of our ministry team, but we will know your heart and we want to know your character. And if someone doesn't have good character, we like, this is what Paul said to Timothy if they're going to be a deacon, overseer, or elder, they have to have good character. Anointing and character are both vital. Because you could be anointed and have really, really bad character and still walk in power. Because in the new covenant, miracle signs and wonders is demonstrated because of people's faith, not because of their character. If it was because of our character, none of us would be able to get anybody healed. Can you imagine? God knows every thought you ever thought. Like, we're trying to minister love and like We're not perfect, man. It's not. It's faith. This is why. So that, that means this, that we don't follow every minister or ministry just because they're signs and wonders. Or because people get slain in the spirit or whatever. Right? Y'all feeling me? Like, that, that's, this is so important. Character and anointing are both vital. I want to close with, uh, with this, just this understanding of how I see this. There's like three stages of revelation for me, knowing what I carry and knowing who I am, discovering who I am. Um, and, and I would say the, the best way to describe it is when years ago, before, before I even fell in love with my wife of, it'll be 19 years in September and uh, five children later, come on somebody and one on the way. Just kidding. I'm just playing. <laughs> uh, I got to sleep on the couch tonight, guys. Well, Ugh, keep making mistakes. So, um, 
before I even fell in love with my wife, I, I wanted to be a dad. And I always wondered, like, am I going to be a good dad? And I always wonder, like, am I going to have a gift of being a father? Not realizing that naturally, because I'm a dude, like, I'm going to be a father if I have a child, as long as I love, right? Like, it comes naturally. No one's ever ready for kids, guys. <laughs> well, we're going to have kids when we're ready. You're never going to be ready. Just have them. It'll work. It's going to be crazy and messy, poop, diapers, and all kinds of no sleep. <laughs> God bless you. Oh, you're cool. You're a dad now, huh, Louise? No sleep. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? You got twins. It's work. But you're never ready. But you are ready. You're a mom. You're a dad. It just, it just happens. I always dreamed of being a good father. And, and this, so this is one stage, the dreaming stage. Do I have what it takes? Listen, you have what it takes. His DNA is in you. No, I don't know if I can. And then the next stage was Sarah, my firstborn daughter. We find out we're having a baby. Wow, changed our life forever. <sighs> no, I'm just kidding. Amazing. Knowing what we carry. Obviously, I didn't carry her in my womb, but my wife did. But knowing, like, oh man, we're going to be parents. And then the third stage is finally holding my daughter. And then, and then seeing like this gift come out of her now remembering I would I would play worship on my guitar and every time I would play not just music but I would sing worship on my guitar my daughter leaped in the womb she heard her father's voice and I remember like thinking about this Sarah he knew you before you were in your mother's womb and look what you release now and I got to be the first one to hold her. And when Sarah came out, there was so much joy in the room, probably because it was 36 hours of labor. But I'm holding her, and she didn't even cry, and she looked right at me in the eyes. You remember that? No, probably not. But <laughs> Do you realize what you carry? And what God has called you to release, do you realize who you are in him. You have what it takes. Just hear the voice of your father and steward what you've been given. And I mean, can you imagine like God, as a parent, I give gifts to my kids. I would be grieved if they're like, I don't really want this. I think sometimes we do it with the gifts he's given us. We want someone else's gifts. I go, I didn't get the train set, dad. I'd be like, that's a brat. That's right. Right. I really feel like the Lord wants to pour in the reality of your significance and who you are. And I want you to know, I just want you to know that you are his treasure. You're, this is what it says in Zechariah 9, I believe 16, you're the jewel of his crown and he's gonna lift you up to catch all the rays of the sun. You are a treasure. And don't forget your significance. You don't have to look for it in a spotlight, in a, on a platform, in a position with a title. You don't have to look for it there. You are significant right where you're at. Can you say amen? Lift your hands with me. I want to pray for you. And then we're going to have our prayer team come up in a moment. We have an awesome team from Bethel Church in Reading and, and our prayer team. Together, we're going to minister to those that need ministry. 
And uh, we want to pray for you. We want to prophesy to you. If you want to receive Jesus, you saw these people getting baptized. You're like, man, I need to serve God. I, I want to surrender my heart. We want you to come too. And you just tell one of our prayer ministers to say, hey, I, I want to receive Jesus. I want to re recommit my life. And so before I do that, let me pray for you. Lift up your hands if you would. And, and just let the Father baptize you with how amazing you are. That he looks at you and he smiles. He says, man, you have no idea the things you're capable of. Lord, unlock, unlock the treasures that are on the inside of everyone in this room. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, thank you for the sons and daughters that I'm beholding right now. Your sheep, your people. I love them and I bless them and I pray you would ignite within them. They would not apologize for who they are. They would say sorry when they're wrong, but they would not apologize for who they are, but who they are would come alive and they would walk in life and know they're anointed and that anointing abides within. Let the rivers of living water flow through them. Everything that they do to be a minister and a witness, come alive in who you are in God, I pray. In the name of Jesus, Lord, break every lie, break every chain, and Lord, ignite boldness on the inside of them. In Jesus' name, would you just do me a favor? Prayer team, lift up your prayer language. I want to just uh, take a moment. I'm just going to wait on the Holy Spirit and make sure we're done. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, if you have your prayer language, just softly pray and just receive as you're praying and just thank Him for His love. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Bless you, Lord. I just, I feel like uh, before I close here, there are some people that, that maybe have been uh, carried this thing like you just don't have purpose. And, uh, well, I was in an accident or, you know, like th there, there's just like this absence of purpose. And I just want to pray and break that off some of you. And I want to declare the value of heaven over you, that you're significant, and that before you were in your mother's womb, he knew you. And so if there's anyone in this room just you've ever felt that, I just, I just break it off you right now. If there's anyone in this room that's just receiving the, fa the Father's love, just lift both hands right now. And maybe in that area specifically, Father, right now, I declare purpose. Brand every heart with your love that they would know they have purpose and destiny in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Can we seal it with praise now? Come on. Thank you, Lord. Honey, would you come up, dismiss, and call the prayer team up? Thank you so much. Do you guys say amen to that word this morning? Is that good? Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. If it's your first time, please make sure you stop at the VIP section on your way out. And I just dismiss you, bless you, release you. Our prayer team's going to come up here and um, along with the Bethel team. And um, if you need prayer for anything, um, prophetic word, insight, you want to give your heart to the Lord, you want to get baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, they can help you with that and um, pray with you. And so... Um, you are dismissed. Be blessed and have a wonderful, wonderful week.